Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. We're going to start with our memory verse for the day. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 to 19 of the ESV version. And it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So today we are wrapping up our book of Genesis and what an incredible book we've read. Man, there are so many different dynamics. Talk about the young and the restless in a book that we read the story and just seeing the redemption story of God right from the opening chapters. And that's been a thread and a theme all throughout Genesis. And it's going to continue on as we move in our Old Testament. But today we're looking at Genesis chapters 48, 49, and 50. So let's put a summary together of our chapters. So let's look at Genesis chapter 48. Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. Jacob became sick and is about to die. So Joseph brings his children to be blessed by his father, Jacob. Jacob then intentionally blesses the younger over the older. That's Ephraim over Manasseh against Joseph's pleading. Ultimately, Joseph submits to Jacob, recognizing the double portion he's receiving as a result of it. In Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons. Each of Jacob's sons gets a prophetic word from their father, as it is time for Jacob to bless his own sons. Each receives either one or two verses referencing their blessings. We'll see that through the first 27 verses. We see that Reuben, Simeon, and Levi's prophecies are not good due to their sins. Judah and Joseph received the greater blessing, each receiving about five verses referencing their blessings. Jacob wants to die in dignity and tells his sons to bury him back in Canaan, not in Egypt, where he's been living for the last 17 years. In Genesis 50, Joseph declares God's good purposes. After Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers are scared that they'll be punished by Joseph. Joseph calms them down by telling them that God brought good out of their evil so that their family could survive. In faith, Joseph tells his brothers that God will honor the promise he made to Abraham. Joseph ultimately dies at the age of 110. So Genesis ends with Joseph speaking out in faith that God will bring the children of Israel back 
to the promised land. Joseph died looking forward to God's unfolding plan of redemption. And that is where the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, ends. It concludes looking forward to the continuation of God's eternal, loving, wise plan, which God begins fulfilling in the next movement of the story, which we're going to find in the book of Exodus, and we start tomorrow. Let's open in prayer before we begin. Father, once again, we have an incredible opportunity to look at your word. And we don't really need somebody like myself to teach it because your word is always teaching us if we allow it. And so this morning, not by what is shared, but by what is inspired and prompted and dropped into our hearts this morning, may we take that and may we apply it to our lives this day. And we thank you that being in your word is an incredible gift. And we do not want to take that for granted. So we ask that you would join us now, open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes, open our ears to see and read this story in Jesus' name. Amen. So these are the last three chapters of Genesis 48, 49, and 50. And for the sake of brevity, I'll be focusing on chapter 49 with Jacob's blessings of his 12 sons and chapter 50 with some thoughts on Joseph and God's fulfillment of his great unfolding plan and where faith plays a big part in it all. So let's begin in chapter 49, verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. This was Jacob's last significant act as a patriarch and as the heir to Abraham and Isaac. Here he prophesied blessing upon each son one by one. What shall befall you in the last days? Some of what follows are not so much blessings as they are prophecies regarding what God will do with these tribes in the future. This is the first conscious prophecy spoken by a man in the Bible. There were many prophecies announced by God, such as the promise of the triumph of the seed of a woman in Genesis 3.15, and other veiled prophecies by men, but this is the first declared prophecy through a man in the Bible. You sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. At the very beginning of the blessing, Jacob realizes he was both Jacob and Israel, and his sons are sons of each. Jacob was speaking from a place of spiritual maturity, realizing both what God made him as Israel and what he had to battle against as Jacob. Verses 3 and 4. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. As the firstborn of the family, Reuben had claim to the inheritance rights of the firstborn, but he forfeited through pride, the excellence of dignity, and through immorality, you defiled it. Reuben's immorality was with his father's concubine, Bilhah, who also happened to be the mother of a couple of his brothers. You shall not excel. The tribe of Reuben never did excel. No prophet, no judge, or no king that we know of came from the tribe of Reuben. Reuben is an example of how the first 
can become the last, as we read later on in Matthew 19, verses 5 and 7. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The second-born Simeon and the third-born son Levi received the same words for the same evil deed. They were instruments of cruelty when they wiped out all the men of Shechem in retaliation for the rape of their sister Dinah. Jacob, perhaps in weakness, did nothing at the time except register a small self-centered complaint back in Genesis 34. Jacob was more concerned about how he would look amongst the nations around him than really standing in place of the injustice of what just happened to his daughter. Yet he and the Lord remembered this event. This appears to illustrate the principle that the sins of our past can come back and haunt us. Even though forgiven, sins may carry consequences we must face for a lifetime. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. The real problem with Simeon and Levi was their anger. Their anger was sin because it was rooted in self-will. Bible speaks of godly anger. Be angry and do not sin in Ephesians 4.26. And an ungodly anger, let all bitterness, wrath, anger be put away from you in Ephesians 4.31. Often, the difference between godly righteous anger and ungodly anger is self-will. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The prophecy of dividing and scattering turned out to be a curse for Simeon and became a blessing for Levi. The tribe of Simeon was the weakest numerically of the 12. We see that in Numbers 26. And eventually shared an allotment of land with Judah. Because of the faithfulness of the tribe of Levi during the rebellion of the golden calf that we'll read in Exodus 32, it was scattered as a blessing throughout the whole nation of Israel. They received no large tract of land, for the Lord was their inheritance, not the land. Verses 8 to 12. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Judah wasn't a completely exemplary character. He suggested making money and getting rid of his brother Joseph. He did not faithfully deal with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and he ends up having sex with her as a prostitute. But he shows good character when he interceded and offered himself as a substitute for Benjamin. Overall, the blessing is an example of the richness of God's grace to the undeserving. So here's a thought. 
in a powerful way, this prophecy over Judah is a description of Judah's greatest descendant, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says this, the dying patriarch was speaking of his own son, Judah. But while speaking of Judah, he had a special eye to the Lord who sprang from the tribe of Judah. Everything, therefore, which he says of Judah, the type, he means with regard to our greater Judah, the antitype, our Lord Jesus Christ. You are he whom your brother shall praise as a lion. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. To him shall be the obedience of the people. Each of these refer to the ruling position Judah will have among his brethren. He inherited the leadership aspect of the firstborn's inheritance. This leadership position among his brothers meant that the eventual king of Israel would come from Judah and that the Messiah, God's ultimate leader, would eventually come from the tribe of Judah. And we see in Revelation 5, 5, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall adjoin Sidon. The tribe of Zebulun was noted for its faithfulness to David, King David, supplying the largest number of soldiers to David's army of any of the tribes. Verses 14 and 15. Ishakar is a strong donkey. How's that for having something spoken to you about? You're a strong donkey. I'll leave it at that. Lying down between two burdens, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden, and he became a band of slaves. Issachar was a large tribe. In fact, the third in size, according to the Numbers 26 census. Because of their size and abundance, they were often targets of oppressive foreign armies who put them into servitude. Thus, they became a band of slaves. Verses 16 and 18. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path, that bites the horse's heel, so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. The tribe of Dan did judge his people. They actually supplied one of the most prominent and notable of the judges, and his name was Samson. We'll read about that in Judges. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob saying these words. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. At this point in the prophecy, when Jacob, excuse me, when Jacob was near death, he called out for God's salvation. Knowingly or not, Jacob was actually calling out for Jesus. Verse 19. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him but he shall triumph at last. The tribe of Gad supplied many fine troops for the later king of Israel, King David. I'm going to pause here for a second. I always have this running joke in my head when I read the name Gad. E-Gad, Dan. I'll leave it at that. Verse 20. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. In Deuteronomy 33, 24, Moses again takes up this prophecy regarding Asher, saying, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers 
and let him dip his foot in oil. He shall yield royal dainties. Apparently, the land eventually occupied by Asher was good enough to bring not only necessities, but also luxuries. I don't know about you, but when I read that word dainties, all I can think of is like baked goods, delicacies, tasty treats. If anybody's seen the movie, The Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, Turkish Delights. <laughs> As I read dainties, Turkish Delights kept coming through my head. That is a complete sidetrack, has really no bearing to anything we're talking about. <laughs> Verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Naphtali's land was in a key position near the Sea of Galilee, the region where Jesus did much of his teaching and ministry. He uses beautiful words. Because so much of the ministry of Jesus took place in the region of Naphtali, this was fittingly said of him. When Rhonda and I had an opportunity to travel to Israel, the Sea of Galilee is one of our favorite places. And to be where Jesus was and to have walked the shorelines and to perform many miracles and see how Naphtali had this neat description spoken of him. Verses 22 to 26 are all referring to Joseph. So let's read. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, and by the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. This was both a description of Joseph's life and a personal blessing concerning his descendants. In a sense, Joseph's tribes were already blessed when his sons Ephraim and Manasseh received their blessing in the chapter earlier in Genesis 48. This description of Joseph as a fruitful bough was by a well, speaks of his being well watered and provided for in his deep and real relationship with God, the Almighty who will bless you. Joseph was certainly blessed in his posterity. His tribes were some of the most populous. In this sense, he received the material blessing, the double portion aspect of the inheritance of the firstborn. The blessing of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Jacob could say this because he was, for much of his life, a scoundrel. Now, at the end of his days, he saw just how good God was. He was forgiven much and loved much, as we read in Luke 7.47. The mighty God of Jacob. In his words about Joseph, Jacob lists five titles for God. These titles show that Jacob did come to an understanding of who God is. And here's those five names. The mighty God of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father, the Almighty. This is a much better description than when Jacob referred to God back in Genesis 31, when he was parting from Laban, as the God of Abraham or the fear of his father Isaac. Now, Jacob knew who God was 
for himself and therefore speaks these five beautiful names. Verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. This tribe of Benjamin had a reputation for fierceness. To see the great extent of the fierceness of those who came from this tribe, we can read about Ead, one of the judges in Judges 3. We can read about King Saul in 1 Samuel 9, and also the Apostle Paul in Acts 8. The cruelty of this tribe in general can be seen in Judges 19 and 20, and it says there was 22,000 men slaughtered in one day by this tribe of Benjamin. Closing out this chapter in verse 33, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This ends the life of the last of the great patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet the work and the plan of God did not end. It continued through men and generations to come. A few thoughts on chapter 50 with Joseph, looking at verses 19 to 21. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Am I in the place of God? Joseph first understood he was not in the place of God. He's referring to Egypt here. It wasn't his job to bring retribution upon his brothers. If the Lord chose to punish them, he would have to find an instrument other than Joseph. From a human perspective, Joseph had the right and the ability to bring retribution upon his brothers, but he knew God was God and he was not. Such retribution was God's place, not Joseph's. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph did not romanticize the wrong his brothers did. He plainly said, you meant evil against me. Although this was true, this was not the greatest truth. The greatest truth was God meant it for good. As believers, we should be able to see the overarching and overruling hand of God in our lives, that no matter what evil man brings against us, God can use it for good. Joseph did not have the text of Romans 8.28, but he had the truth of it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Sadly, there are many who have this text, but they do not have the truth. Ultimately, our lives are not in the hands of men, but in the hands of God, who overrules all things for his glory. To save many people, this was the immediate good in the situation. If Jacob's large family did not come to Egypt and live, they would have perished in the famine. Had the family barely survived, they would have assimilated into the Canaanite tribes surrounding it. Only by coming to Egypt could they be preserved and grow into a distinct nation. As we're wrapping up today, let's play that what-if game with the life of Joseph. And Rhonda brought this out last week, and so I'd like to bring it out again. 
If Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, then Joseph would never have gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he would have never been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would have not have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accused Joseph, then Joseph would never have been put in prison. If Joseph was never put in prison, he would have never met the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If Joseph never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted their dreams, he would have never interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, he would never become prime minister second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. And if Joseph never became prime minister, he would never have wisely prepared for the terrible famine that was to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine, then his family back in Canaan would have died in the famine. And if Joseph's family back in Canaan died in the famine, then the Messiah could not have come from a dead family. If the Messiah did not come forth, then Jesus never came. And if Jesus never came, then we are dead in our sins and without hope in this world. I'd like to end our time in Genesis with the following scripture about the patriarchs and their noted faith. And we can find this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And we see just a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We see God's plan of redemption from the very first book of the Bible. Today, that plan of redemption continues on stronger than ever. Are we not grateful for God's great and wise plan? He truly is a covenant-keeping God. Amen. Well, my resources used for today were David Gudzik, EnduringWord.com, the ESV Study Bible, and the New King James Version Bible, and also GotQuestions.org. Lord bless you, Lord keep you, may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And as you go, represent Jesus and have a Jesus-filled day. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.